Okay, the Rabbi Shmuley podcast. This is uh, chapter two in Lessons in Grief and Mourning. And um, let me make sure that everything is on. And do this live as well. Hi, everybody. So I want to make sure that, you see, it's not letting me put the name. And that bothers me because I, it's, it's such a profound Lessons in Grief and morning, chapter two. Chapter two. And, and it should be here as well, but it's not. You see the Baba? The, the line, the description? See, Mandy Lipsker's watching, and he lost his father a few years ago, and I loved his father very much, and his brother called me when, when my father passed away. Hi, everyone. Let me uh, make sure that this is working now. Um, there was a profound uh, reaction to uh, the, the chapter one of Lessons in Grief and Mourning that I did with my daughter, Achalea. And we're at home, so you hear the noise because we just had dinner with the family. Because tonight is kind of shloshim for my father. It's not exactly, it's hard to explain, but the 30-day mourning period for my father ends early before 30 days because the festival of Shavuot came in the middle. But the proper commemoration I'm going to do a week from this uh, Thursday, which is 30 days from the day of his burial. But tonight we had a family dinner in commemoration of my father after I, after I said Kaddish. But the reaction yesterday, Baba, was just profound. About 10,000 yeah. people watched it. And so many, hundreds of people commented. But it was really people who were close to me who called me and told me that they were so moved by the conversation. Um, and, and look how many people are writing already. We lost our yeah. dad in 2017. Because what I was saying yesterday is that people don't, really, people don't really talk about death and mourning. They don't really discuss it. It's a painful subject. I think it's one that we just try to avoid. And uh, we live in a culture that glorifies youth. Mm-hmm. It's young people that... And now even coronavirus, it's like, it's like eliminating a whole generation of older people. And, and, and I've never seen such a divide between the old and the young like during the coronavirus where young people can go out and, and protest important causes for justice or have a drink or go to a restaurant because they're not afraid of the disease because they're thinking, even if I get a cough, it's going to be a cough or something. But older people really believe... And it, Their lives and it happens, are in danger. Yeah, that they can be killed by it. Mm-hmm. But that's why the, the conversation yesterday was so profound because... Yeah, so... People I, are in pain. Exactly. So, I, hi, everyone. Rachelia here. Um, I'm so honored to be doing this with my father. This is such an important thing. Hi, my young, thirsty soul. <laughs> Hi, Margaret. <laughs> um, so I, I just wanted to add that I, I was reading through the comments last night and this morning, and I think that one of the most beautiful things about this is that people are not... I know it's like a man, but I just, I'm only going to pin this and I'm going to listen. It was the same problem we had last night. See, now I pinned it. Okay. okay. Bye, baby girl. He has to listen to me when I Yes. So um, I was saying that I, I think that the reason this is so, not just because we miss Saba, love Saba, and you just lost your father, but also no one wants to feel alone. I think this is a very lonely time for people, specifically people who are mourning. Um, and through this conversation we're having, I feel like so many people who are in pain, and pain is such a, grief is such a lonely place to be. I think you're really giving people comfort, um, and you're making them feel like, they're, they're not by themselves. They're not alone in their grief. So I hope that this can be a place where you feel that you have people that understand you or know, like my father knows what you're going through and you can be with him in that, 
in that space. Yeah, so you're saying it's like a community. Yeah, this is a community. I, I really... Even though it's a virtual community. Yeah, we're here for you virtually, and, and I'm sure that you can feel my father's pain also virtually, and it's a really beautiful thing, and I'm really honored to ask you questions. No, that's... Uh, okay. Okay, I don't, so... I don't want to comment on that, because I want to get straight to your questions. Okay, you don't... <laughs> okay. Okay, so... Uh, this is also... A lot of these questions are based on the comments that I saw last night, and it's also things that we spoke about today. So I saw in the comments that many people were saying that their ailing, sick parents who passed away when they were very old, a lot of people were saying that they were glad, they're happy, and they're relief. They feel a sense of relief that their parents are no longer in pain. And my grandfather was sick for a very long time. um, And I wanted to know how you feel about those comments and what you would say to those people and your thoughts on that. Yeah, that sentiment... And, and let me be clear, I'm, I'm not offering opinions in this, in this series that we're doing, Lessons in Grief and Mourning. I call this chapter two, and I hope it'll become a book, God willing, I have to write it up, obviously. But let me be clear, I'm not offering opinions. I mean, I am, obviously, everything is an opinion, but I'm speaking from the heart. I'm offering observations, sentiments, real emotions that I'm experiencing, even as I don't fully understand them. So that sentiment that, oh, thank God, uh, my father's no longer in pain. And my father did suffer. Your grandfather mm-hmm. suffered a lot in the last five months. That sentiment does not appeal to me at all. I'm, I don't like it. Uh, a very close relative of, uh, one of my one of my siblings said that to me. Thank God uh, Abba's not uh, suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it's terrible that he died, but, it's, but thank God he's not suffering. That doesn't appeal to me. It gives me no comfort to think of that. I know so many people who say that. A friend, a friend of mine lost their, their uh, mother like a, a month before my father passed away, and he said the same thing to me. He said, you know, my mother was suffering so much, and thank God she's not suffering. But like I said, Baba, it has no appeal to me. I, I don't know why. It leaves me cold. It leaves me cold. Why does it leave me cold? Why does it leave you cold? Um, so the, the idea is they were suffering because then they shouldn't have been suffering. You know, before they were suffering, they were living for the most part. Um, we know, like people said that my father had no quality of life towards the end because mm-hmm. he was uh, it was very hard. He was in the hospital. We couldn't visit him towards the end. He did come home for the last ten days, but we couldn't visit him because of the coronavirus. And people say he had no quality of life, but I just think that life is better than quality of life, as it were. That life is everything. Death is being just alive, this terrible just absence. Yeah, I know that a lot of people disagree with me. I mean, maybe that's based on my Jewish convictions and how Judaism understands, uh, you know, life and death. But no. This idea that it's a release from suffering, it just leaves me cold. That gives me no comfort. I don't know. Why? How do you feel about that? I, I don't, I don't uh, resonate with that. With, when people say that, I can't really understand it. And that actually leads me to my next question. So, and I'll tell you why. Because, at least for me, and I'm sure you guys can see this on camera, virtually also, um, so much of my identity, and maybe too much, and we've discussed this before, so much of my identity is built into you and mommy. I, I feel whole. I feel complete. I feel so dependent. And I was saying this last night, how even in your weak state of grief, so to say, not weak, but a painful state of grief, your children still can't not depend on you. And you have to be strong for them in a certain way. Um, and I wanted such to know a, what the... interesting point. It's really sometimes... I was actually thinking about this morning. I sometimes wonder, like, how much can children take from their... I don't want to call it taking, but that's just the nature of the relationship. You just It's just... We just take so much, even in your state of grief, your children. It's not that we're trying to take. It's just that's the nature of father-daughter or son and father, whatever it is. That's very insightful. So the reason I ask that is because yeah. um, I want to know, first of all, wh- how you felt before Saba 
Saba means grandfather in Hebrew, before Saba passed away, and how you feel differently now as a 50-something-year-old man um, whose father passed away and how that affected your identity. Um, um, how it makes me feel to know that my children depend very strongly on me. But how that, how, so I was connecting that really to, the real question is how, how does your, how does your identity feel differently now that your father has passed away? How did it feel Do I feel strong? And how did it feel after? I feel compromised. I feel very compromised. I feel weakened. I feel um, undermined. I feel like, uh, I don't know, if, if I was a, a, a chair with four legs, I feel like one was taken away and I'm a bit more rickety. I'm the same person, but I don't, I don't think I'm as strong. Is it security? What is it? Yeah, I think a sense of security has been lost. Um, I don't mean just mortality, thinking about my mortality, although, of mm-hmm. course, you think about your mortality when... when, it, when it, I just think, no, I'm not thinking about, will I die too, God mm-hmm. forbid, or eventually I will die because now someone who I love, my father died, God forbid. No, I'm thinking more that um, in my present state, I'm not the same person. I... I there was a sturdiness to me. When your parents are alive, there's a sturdiness to you. You're, you're whole, you're complete. And I said to a friend on the phone today that it's, uh, I feel like a limb has been cut off from me, but that doesn't really even capture it because that would mean, God forbid, if a limb was, was cut off, so I don't have two arms anymore, I have one, I have one arm. And, and then you understand what, what you're missing. Here, I don't really understand what I'm missing. It's not like I can't because I'm the same person. Thank God I have two arms, two legs, ten fingers. Yeah. But my father's not alive. And something inside me has changed. And something in my mind has changed. Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Maybe even physically. I want, I'm, I want to push you a little. I want you to go more into that. I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, maybe it's too much. But I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying, though? For, our relationship is different than your relationship was with your father. And I want to know how that... Like, what does it mean to feel less... Because you depend on me more? Yes. I, I think... I mean... Also, I don't know, you're 54? 53. 53. 53. It's 53. Um, so can you explain that a little more? You talk about, this is not even just for Facebook. You talk about this a lot, and I really want to understand. How I see myself now that my father has passed away? Yeah. Like you say, when you go to shul and you say Kaddish, you feel something. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. never been in that boat before. Yeah, yeah. My identity has changed. I'm now a mourner. It's such a strange thing to even call oneself. When I was reading a book on the weekend with, by an author who became a mourner, when he kept on saying that he was a mourner, it was like a weird thing. I had to identify with that. Now I'm also a mourner. I don't, I don't want to think of myself in that. It's a strange club to be in. It's a strange club to be in. I always knew that Queen Victoria mourned Prince Albert. We mentioned that last night for like 60-odd years, and I thought that was kind of weird that she was always in mourning, and now I'm in mourning. And I even find it, I find myself saying it to you guys, it's a strange club that I want to, that I don't want to be in. No one wants to be in this club. I'm now one of the Kaddish sayers. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys that doesn't go out of the shul anymore for Yiskor. My whole identity has changed. There was, like, there was a strength, a vitality, a youthfulness before my father passed away. I was, you know, they said Yiskor and shul. I went out he because was. I was one of the young guys who, mm-hmm. and, and, and when other people said Kaddish, yeah, I said Amen, and I kind of felt sorry for them. And my heart went out to them. They had lost, but thank God I didn't. So it was more, it was almost condescending. It was almost a little bit patronizing. Maybe there's a humility that comes, that accrues to you when you lose someone, God forbid. But uh, I'm now that guy. I'm now that guy that everyone looks at because he's saying Kaddish. The guy that has to say Kaddish. Or Shmuley has to say Kaddish. Shmuley needs a minion to say Kaddish. Mm-hmm. And I'm now the guy calling people to, 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 to be part of my minion to say Kaddish. 
I'm now that guy. I never thought I would be that guy. And I'm not comfortable being that guy. And I don't want to be that guy. And I wish I weren't that guy. But I know there's no going back. I also, that's another thing, that I know that there's freaking no going back. This isn't like something I can reverse. I can't bring my father back. I can honor him in, his, in, in death. I can remember him, refer to him a blessed memory, and I can do all those things. But what I can't do is I can't go back. I am now the guy, one of the guys one, who, who has lost a parent. It's, it's, it's such a weird shift in how one thinks of oneself. I mean, you just said it yourself, Bob. You said, thank God, you know, I should live a long, I should live until Mashiach comes and be around your, you for, I already told you guys when Sabbath died, remember I called you guys up from Israel, I said, I'm going to live forever, I'm never going to put yeah. you through what I'm going through right now. So I'm going to say, oh, don't worry, I'm going to live forever. That's clear. I but um, I, I never thought that I could be, you know, in, in this position. And, and I don't know what to make of it. That's another strange thing for me. You know, you know me. I'm someone who tries to be very clear about emotions and feelings. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm not clear about this. It's like really strange. But I'm, try- and I'm trying to be normal. I'm trying How to be are you normal. trying to be normal? I'm trying to go about a normal life. I mean, amidst having to say Kaddish and the Minyanim and, and, and the rituals of mourning, which I'm trying to keep very uh, steadfastly and very strictly to honor my father, to honor my religion, the laws of Judaism. But... Um, I'm still trying to go back a normal life. We had family dinner tonight, mm-hmm. albeit we spoke about, you know, Saba a lot. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to live a normal life, but I know it's not normal. And I know it's not normal to want to be normal when you're not normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah. you don't feel normal. That's another weird thing. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I find myself, like I, I called up a friend today who had lost a parent a few years ago, and he expressed his condolences. But he knew that I wanted to talk, and I knew that I wanted to talk. But I didn't want to say, I was telling him I was just like kind of returning your call, <laughs> but I really needed to talk to someone. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to admit that I have to talk to someone, you know? You know, my friend, I have a friend, I shouldn't say his name without his permission, he lost his father like last year, and we went out to dinner. So this is a year before my father passed away almost, and he, uh, and he said to me, you know, my wife is telling me I should go for counseling after, um, you know, after my father passed away. I said, are you going to? He said, no, no, I'm not going to, I don't think I need it. So it was, he was on my mind when Saba died. He said, should I go for counseling? But this is my counseling, Baba. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, it's a dream come true. Oh, my God. No I'm kidding. Wait, why is that a dream come because, true? Because, well, we can go into this. We don't have to go into this. I am a strong believer. Oh, my gosh. My Judaism is so intertwined and intermixed and intermingled and inextricably connected to self uh, mental health and self-care. And I believe that God is just like... A, I, I really believe that God has the attitude of a therapist. He wants what's best for us and he wants us to take care of ourselves. So if I can cancel you, <laughs> he's you canceled me my whole life. No, you've so. given me great wisdom. Um, it's, what about the ancient prophecy that... Uh, children that, will teach their parents. Yeah, that, that's, that, this, that the hearts of the parents will be restored to the children. Yeah, I actually think that that's happening. Not just here, in, in the world in general. Um, which is why I so appreciate that we could talk about this. But another thing is that I want to talk about um, is that... I, you've taught us, I think, one of the things you've really taught all nine of us, there's nine of us, thank God, is thank to be God. fearless. And really, yep. and I, we discussed this also last night, just pushing through everything. You jump over it, you break through it, you jump. You mean challenges, you, hurdles, what, yeah, uh, pain. What, pain, adversity, whatever it is. You get through it, you're strong, you can deal with emotion and everything. But when it comes to facing our mortality and, and being aware that death is unfortunately a part of life, I want to know... Now that you've come face to face with it, 
Um, and tell me if I'm asking too hard, no. too much. This is all unrehearsed. So it's all unrehearsed. It, it is unrehearsed. Um, so how does that make you? I don't know. I don't really know what I'm asking. I, I think that. How does it make me feel when I've taught you to push through? And fearlessness. And we've just been like brazen and, and, and courageous and moral courage. Those are the, all the things that you instilled in all of us. And then yeah. death is. How do, you, how do you face that? It can't be overcome. How do you face that? It's like the craziest thing. It's a very good question. And I don't want to be afraid of it. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't think any of us should... Well, you, I don't you, know. you have no reason, thank God, in general. No, not even a fear. Death. No, not even a... Sorry to cut you off. But not even a fear of someone I love passing away, God forbid. I mean, the concept of death, if we are Hasidim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and we really believe that God creates a world every moment of our lives and that God is everywhere and everything, then... Death obviously is painful, but we can't believe that it's the end of life. If something is alive, that means it never stops living. You, can I, okay, I have to interrupt myself for a second. Okay. Yeah, good, good, take your time. So, what I'm really trying to say is when you say Kaddish and you say Yisker, you've already said Yisker, which is amazing because it was Shavuos. Yeah. You're not saying it for yourself. We were in quarantine, so we couldn't even go to shul to say it. We said, me and my siblings said it together. That was really sad. So, that was, yeah. Couldn't even say it in the community, yeah. So, you're not saying Kaddish for yourself. You're not saying Yisker for yourself. You're saying it for Saba because he's still alive somehow. So I, I want to face my own mortality and death in general because you can't live in fear all the time. And I, anyone who's experienced anxiety in their lives, and I remember when I was in Israel, I had a year off in Israel. Like, I, B, it was the first time I was away from my family and I would like wake up in the middle of the night like thinking something happened to someone I love. Like, you can't live like that. It took me a long time to get over that. You can't live in fear that's like you're going to get hurt, someone's going to pass away. And I, I think that as... as you didn't. As Jews, we really believe that any, everything comes from Hashem, and Hashem is life, and everything will come back. And I and another maybe this is too personal. Tell me if it's too personal. You can. I won't be offended if you say. Um, there's nothing, I remember there's nothing so far you've said that's too personal. Okay, but I remember when you were when you were choosing the place that Saba was going to be buried, yeah. and this this everyone hit me so hard. I, I was sitting in my parents' bedroom. We were all sitting together. It was really late at night. We had just heard the news. We were doing all the plans, and we had to. And Saba was in LA, and we had to fly his body to Israel. It was just so chaotic. And I remember, I will never forget. You said these words, um, or someone said them to you over the phone. We were deciding where to bury Saba in Israel, and we had to get his body to Israel. And you said we're burying him on Harazesim on Mount of Olives because that's where Tichias Hamesim begins. Well, that is where the, the resurrection, resurrection of the yeah. dead. And I couldn't believe this, like perfectly rational man who like reads Voltaire and philosophy and, and like, I couldn't believe that someone so rational and academic and you're so Kanainara, so smart. I can show off about him. He can't show off about himself, but you're so smart and rational and philosophical. And, and I couldn't believe you were talking about, we're going to something as serious as your father being buried in terms of we're going to bury him here because this is where resurrection is happening first. I will never, I cannot tell you how that impacted me. So you can take it. From I there. absolutely believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, I think it could even be a rational idea. I'm sure that scientists can code DNA and replicate DNA and take DNA and restore a human being. I bet they might be able to do it. Maybe even in my lifetime. So I think. I mean, I obviously I believe in the miraculous nature of it that it's going to come about through God in the messianic era. But I don't think it's an irrational belief. I don't. I, I mean. It was probably irrational to believe that the the image of you and me speaking could be transmitted through airwaves to people all over the world who are watching in mm-hmm. real time. This isn't a TV studio; it's an iPad we're using, and uh, that was a, no one would have believed that. They would have they would have thought you were insane. So a lot of the things that were that were thought to be too fantastic are no longer too fantastic. I absolutely believe in the resurrection of the dead. I did bury 
our father, me and my brother says, buried our father on the Mount of Olives because I want him to be the first to be resurrected because I, yeah. because I miss him very much and I am incomplete without him. And to answer your question whether how does someone like me who tries to push through every challenge yeah. and every hurdle, how do I now deal with something that I can't push through, that I have to suddenly now sit and face death? Mm-hmm. I have to confront it because I can't overcome it. I can't go this way around it. I can't yeah. go this way under it. I can't, I can't get no in, in the delusion that didn't happen. And now I'm forced to contemplate it. You know, I'm, that's, you know, Baba, that's the best question you asked me so far between last night and tonight. Because I'm now forced to be immersed in it. I'm now forced to like really take stock of it. There is no moving forward. This is a time for real reflection and contemplation. I know we use those words, reflection and contemplation, all the time. But this is a time for real reflection. And I don't know if you guys see that in me. And that's been, I think that's been the most, maybe the hardest part of the grieving period, the grieving uh, process, that I know that ultimately that reflection is a solitary experience. That you could have your wife with you, Baruch Hashem, mm-hmm. thank God, mommy. And all of you near me, thank God, Baruch Hashem, and my grandchildren as well, who I so love. And I see my daughter Mushki is like watching, and my daughter Mushki has five beautiful children, and she brings them around all the time, and they bring so much joy into our life. And my daughter Sterney's two children. Um, but I still know it's a solitary thing, and, I'm, and I can't push through it, and I can't move on, mm-hmm. and I have to just like think about death and my father and, and, and the loss and the void. And how do you think about a void? How do you think about nothingness? That's a, yeah. that's, that itself is a, it's a, it's a, it's a contradiction. You know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. The fact that I think proves that I am. How do you think about something that you aren't, yeah. that isn't? And it's a solitary thing. And um, maybe that's why I, I really think I've entered a state in life that only those who've lost parents can understand. Like, I don't, you can't understand it. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. And you, you never understand it. Because I'm going to live forever. That's right. He is. <laughs> but, I, but I have found a camaraderie, sadly, in people who, like all the people who are calling me to, to you know, friends calling me to comfort me, writing to me. And I, the first question I asked them, because I don't always know the answer, you know, are both your parents alive? And if both parents are alive, I don't think that they can understand. I mean, they can try. But if, if the parents have, then it's a different conversation immediately. This is, this is deeply experiential. Yeah. And it's, even though it's different for all, for other, for all people, it's still deeply experiential. Unfortunately, it's something you have to experience. Hmm. Well, I wanted to say to Lisa Gale that we're here for you. I see her. Um, yeah, what did she I say? That she's her. been mourning for three years. Is that what she said? She sounds very sad. Um, and <clears throat> I just want to tell you that, that we're here for you in any way can be. Um, just because your your conversation or your comment caught my eye. Um, look at but Baba. Look, I'm looking at some of the comments right now. Look at how much pain people are in, I know. and they don't have a place to express it. And that's why I'm doing this. By the way, this is a very selfish exercise on my part. And maybe it's maybe it's not even you know completely right of me to take my 22 year old daughter and drag her into this conversation. This is my choice. <laughs> I want to be here. But um, I told you this is my therapy. Good. We talked about guilt today. Yeah. And that's something I think yeah. can real everyone can everyone who's lost a parent, I'm sure, is experiencing some kind of guilt. Can you discuss that or explain why maybe yeah, and how it, are you feeling in terms of guilt? Yeah, so he, this okay, so this is something that we started to talk about today. The only thing we actually talked about today mm-hmm. that we started. I said I wanted to address this. I'm not feeling guilty, thank God. And I hope I don't. That scares me. Mm-hmm. 
I know so many people who lose parents and they're so guilt-ridden. They weren't good enough children. They didn't spend enough time with their their parents. They put them in a home. They they, they feel so... Look at the guilt that one of a, that a close friend of ours is feeling because their parent was in uh, an assisted living facility where they put the coronavirus uh, patients and that ended up killing their, their parent. And they feel bad that they were there. And that's a... No, why aren't I feeling guilt? First of all, I'm afraid that I, that, I, that I might, God forbid, and I think that's very debilitating. I've seen it destroy people. The guilt, the feeling of loss that you, you know, the, the, the omission that you didn't do enough. And, and, and when Saba was alive, I feared feeling that guilt were he to die. That was what I most, and yet, it, thank God, Baruch Hashem, it's what I'm feeling the least. And why? Because I feel like I'm flipping, giving my all to honor my father. I'm a, I'm a hustling three, to do three yeah. minyanim a day and to keep the minyanim and keep the minyanim safe, socially distanced, everyone wearing masks. There's a global pandemic outdoors. Everyone's spaced away, you know. And we we do the Torah and make sure no one cu- touches the Torah. We say that they say the aliyah ten feet away, you know. Make sure everyone, and I'm all this is going. I'm hustling. That's even the wrong word because it's not respectful of of the san- of the no, sanctity of the process. No, but I see what you mean. Process. It's fast pace. It's constant. And, and you see me, I'm spending hours a day trying to get minyanim, trying to get the quorum of tent to say the Kaddish. So, um, and I feel I really honored my father with his burial in Jerusalem at the mm-hmm. site will be the first resurrection of the dead, mm-hmm. which is a rational concept. <laughs> um, what about before my father died, though? Did I do enough as a son? No. I don't think you ever can do enough. You know, the fifth commandment is so big. It weighs so big. And all of our parents mess us up a little bit. And there's always going to be tension with parents. And there's even tension. I love you with all my heart and all my soul. There's some tension between us. That's because you're imperfect. Your father's perfect. And your imperfections get in, the, in, 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 in our relationship. They come between us. If you were more okay. like me. No, but I love my daughter. I love, I love my nine children with all my heart. And I think they know how de- devoted I am to them. I think that's true, thank God. I think it's an objective statement. And yet, there's tensions between us, mm-hmm. as there are between any children and parents. So could I have been a better son to my father? Yeah, I could have, of course. Mm-hmm. Will that hit me? That's scary. That's the one thing that really scares me. I don't think me. it will. Why? Well, because I know the kind of son that you are and that you were. And there's no, there's no place for guilt. I think guilt is part of like the subconscious when you can't admit for so long that you didn't do enough and you realize you didn't do enough and it's too late. You can't go back. You can't say the things you... There was nothing that could have been said. There was nothing that could have been... Like you did everything. You did everything a son was obligated to do. More than he was obligated to do. No. uh, Yes. That's my opinion. That's being generous with me. Absolutely not. That's my opinion. A thousand percent. Look, my circumstances, this is one of the reasons I want to write a book, God willing, if I ever... By the way, the whole problem, you know I've written 33 books, and the whole problem with writing books is, it's nice to write a book, it's a great accomplishment, but if it doesn't sell, it's not nice. <laughs> I only want to write a book if you guys are actually going to buy it, if someone's going to read it. It's not the selling part that I mean, it's more the, I mean the reading, the consuming, that people appreciate it, and it impacts on their lives. Um, but one of the reasons I want to write something is I feel my circumstances as my father are so unique, Baba, because... Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up around him after the age of eight. I was raised by a single mother in Miami. And my father was in L.A. and I was on the other side of the United States. Mm-hmm. And I'm 53 now, so you got to go back in. I was eight. You're going back 45 years. And back then, travel, you know, back then, uh, airline travel isn't what it is today. I don't mean during the coronavirus where it's almost non-existent. I mean, back then, buying a ticket was a big deal. Flying across the country was a big deal. It's like now, you, you just get on a plane, you stay for an hour, you come right back. 
but it was a big deal. And so I saw my father only a few times a year. And then, so from the age of 14, when I went back to Los Angeles to stay in a dormitory in the Chabad Yeshiva at Oral Khanan, I had to build my relationship with my father. I mean, it was there, kind of, mm-hmm. but I really had to build it. And I worked hard on building it. And it's, I was in Yeshiva, I wasn't living with him, mm-hmm. but I was living only, in, you know, uh, half an hour from him. And he came never to see me every Sunday. That. You guys lived in the same city. Yeah. I never 14, about 15. That. And I worked very hard on building a relationship with him. And, um, and, I, and, I, and, you know, I did, thank God. And that was when we really started to get close. And uh, we, he used to come see me every Sunday. And, uh, or I'd go at one, one every three Shabbos, I think I was allowed to go. And I would stay with my aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. where, where, where Saba would come and eat the entire time. Mm-hmm. He couldn't really stay with Saba so far as he didn't have, like, a functional household. And so far as he wasn't married, you know, I stayed with my aunt and uncle. Or I stayed with my father, and it was just across the street. But it doesn't make a difference. I was with him on Shabbos, mm-hmm. like, every third week, every fourth week. And then he would come to see me on Sundays. We'd walk around the block, and we'd talk. So my circumstances are very different to other kids who grew around, mm-hmm. up around, around their father. Because I had to build a lot of the relationship. And you guys saw a lot of that, right? My whole even, life. Even I saw later that. in life. I, my whole life I saw that. You saw what? That... I saw that I saw you as the as taking the role um, that usually a father should. Um, you so the way I see it is like in, in your relationship with us, you're the one you are the one who like initiates. We're children, you like you initiate the relationship, you initiate the love. You always give first. Yes. And we to you guys, I really do thank God. I yeah. do. Yes. But I, I think that's a father's job. I, okay. I think it's a parent's I job. That. I accept you're that. the initial lover. You're the you're the giver. You're the supporter. Um, like the, if I see you the guys, the provider. Are like, yeah. You know, if something's bothering us, you come like descend yeah. and and. So I think the way I saw you and Saba, I think that you played both roles. Saba, my grandfather was like this Iranian man. Who lived in America for like decades and still could hardly speak English. He just looked like he always just walked out of Iran. He just like, no matter how long he lived in the States, he looked like he just arrived from like um, Esfahan. So uh, he just, he, he was like that alpha male type and that, that masculine type that wasn't hard to show emotion. It was hard to show love. I, I mean, he would tell us he loved us, but um, it wasn't like, like grandpa, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't our relationship. I love him. I, I always love him, but it wasn't that relationship. Saw, saw it didn't take you fishing? We never went fishing. No. <laughs> no. Um, but so I think you played both roles and there's literally no room for guilt. You, you, it's, and it's the opposite of guilt. If anything, you did way more than was called for, that you were responsible for. Um, you played the, like you played the role. You helped him play his role. And, I'm, and I know he's forever grateful for that. You helped him like feel. You helped him show feeling. You helped him love. You helped him. You said last night that you taught him how to say "I love you." That's un- unbelievable that you had to do that. He always loved his children, but he. It's. I think it's a cultural thing. He just. Well, he, he had was a, like made of stone. Like literally, like his he, arms were stony. Like. He, <laughs> well, he he had to steel himself to life because he grew up amidst such challenges. You know, in Iran, yeah. impoverished. One of 13 kids, Jewish, Muslim country, where the Jews were truly persecuted. And he would tell me stories that, you know, he would come to buy fruit in the Muslim markets. And they would make the Jews put the money down. You couldn't touch anything that the Jews touched because it was impure. So he had to steal himself to, you know, all these things that we take for granted. He had to be very tough. So, yes, I had to teach him. That's a condescending word to use with one's parents. I'm not going to say that. But I, I had to... It inspire in him the words, I love you. Yeah. What's your last question? Then we'll continue. So I have an, one last question. Yeah. question. 
Well, actually, I have more, but whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll pick the best one. Okay, I'll just ask two questions, and you can pick which one you want to. You can. Okay. okay. So, um, how? So, my two questions are. I'm going to try to word these perfectly. Number one, how does how is your relationship with God right now? Yeah. And how do you feel? Because you're always talking about defiance and yeah. and and being real with God, being authentic with God, being wholehearted yeah. with God, saying what yeah. you feel. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering about that. It's um, a great question. And the second great one, question. And you can, my daughter you can is choose, so, so amazing. Smart. <laughs> um, so the second one I was going to ask was, how has this changed the way you want to raise us? Because I know I'm 22, but parents never stop raising their children, um, and you have very you have a big presence in our lives. So, really, what has this taught you as losing a father, being a father? How is this going to change the way you are a father, or maybe it won't? So you can pick which one you want to answer. And that's that. Well, I'll answer both. But, uh, but, and so much of what we're discussing, we can elaborate on when there's more time in the next few nights, God willing. Um, the first question is a brilliant question because I am someone who believes in being defiant with God and uh, Yisrael, he who wrestles with God, to argue with God, like be like Moses who argued with God. Look at Moshe in the last week's Torah reading. Why have you been so unkind to your, to your servant? You know, the whole story of Eldad and Medad. Am I feeling defiant now? No. No, it's almost like that. What do you feel? It's almost like I was talking a big game. <laughs> I talked a good game before my father died, and then, and then like, I got the, the wow. stuffing knocked out of me. The God, the God, the God kind of taught me who's boss, that you could try to hold on to your father. You know, thank God, remember, thank God Saba's death was not, let me say this in the right way. Thank God Saba's death was not tragic, meaning every death is tragic, but it was not tragic insofar as he didn't die, and he was 87, he didn't die, God forbid, in a car accident or, or of, of cancer, or God forbid, or he didn't even die of the coronavirus, which is, which is tragic. He, his death was still tragic. He, he, had a, he had a catastrophic stroke, and he never really recovered from that. So of course it's a tragedy, but I mean, it's not a tragedy the way we weigh the tragedy of a, of a young yeah. person dying, God forbid, or bearing a child, God forbid, which is unimaginable. But even so, you know, my defiance towards God, God showed me who's boss. Uh, he controls the world. He gives life, he takes life. And we are, like, sometimes you feel like an insignificant pawn. He just, he just moves you on his chessboard. And you still have a, you know, Elbizel said in one of his books, I think it was the Tell Me on the Wall, he said that um, we don't have the last laugh with God. God always has the last laugh because he controls everything. But we have the last cry. A profound sense. Oh, that's the saddest thing I ever heard. But we have the last cry. So I can still cry for my father, and, and God can't stop that. Mm-hmm. And God can't stop me from mourning. In fact, in fact, God's rituals are supposed to give me, you know, the means by which to mourn, and how I'm supposed to mourn. Um, but no, I don't feel defined. That's an excellent question, Medela. Excellent. I don't feel defined at all. I feel subdued. I feel beaten. I wouldn't say I feel broken. Although a lot of me is broken. I wouldn't say I feel shattered, like I'm, I'm in a million pieces. I don't feel that. But I do feel beaten. I do feel defeated. And I certainly don't feel defiant. No, I'm not feeling that. And then the second question, you asked me. How, is this, um, how do you want to raise your children differently? Or maybe not differently, but losing a father or being a father. Um, it's also an excellent question. Um, maybe you haven't really thought about that no, yet. No, I have a little bit. In one aspect I have, mm-hmm. which is, um, I, I want to, uh, this is going to be a bad answer. Uh, I want, such I, thing. No, I want to talk to you guys more about death. Okay, what? That is a horrible <laughs> answer. Okay, next. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't want that. I don't want. To no, I don't. Them. I don't mean we're Jews. We're not obsessed with death. We're a religion of life. What I mean is, I, I don't want death to be something that can never be addressed. Meaning, I'm going to live forever, so you don't have to worry about. It. But yeah. that doesn't mean I can't discuss with you guys True. the Good possibility of, of possibilities. Is I'm never going to die. I'm going to live forever anyway. That doesn't mean I should never be able to discuss with you guys where I'd like to be buried or anything. Not that I'm. I've got. A long time, God willing. I'm sure it's going to come. Yeah, forever. But no, no. What I mean to say is, I want to be able to talk to you about what death does to people, how it influences, impacts on people who have to mourn, who have to grieve, like these kinds of conversations. And that way, it's changed my parenting because I never wanted to discuss these things with you before. I wrote the book Ten Conversations You Need to Have with Your Children. That mm-hmm. Some people tell me it was my best book. It was launched on the Oprah Winfrey Show. One of those conversations is not, you know, let's talk about death or or well, people dying. You didn't write about and that when, at all. No, I don't think so. And whenever. Whenever I see, like in the New York Times, how to talk to your kids about the coronavirus, how to talk to your kids about, uh, you know, all these horrible things. I don't read those sections in the New York Times because I feel, you know what, when and if I feel that my kids need to discuss this, this trauma, I will. I don't need a newspaper to tell me. But the loss of your grandfather, you see, I'm also cognizant of the fact that whatever I'm going through, which is very intense... I know you guys are also going, he, he was your grandfather. It's a generation mm-hmm. removed. But you, you uh, up until three weeks ago, you had four living grandparents mm-hmm. at the age of 22. That's amazing. I didn't have four living grandparents at the age of three. My grandfather died when I was three years old. Then my second grandfather died a month before my bar mitzvah. And then I, so I was really, I really knew my two grandmothers very well. And I was very close to them. And I loved them both very much. And I actually missed them very much. And I think about them a lot. But in that sense, it's changed my parenting because I want to be able to talk about these things a bit more. I mean, do you feel uncomfortable talking about mourning and grief with me as we, as we have been two nights in a row? And that's in front of this audience. We've talked about mm-hmm. it since, since Saba passed away three weeks ago. We talked about it when, when his death was also impending, mm-hmm. when it was possible. That's true. Because you remember we were sitting at this t- very table mm-hmm. when on sh- during the Seder when I got a call that we had to take. And you know, you're, not, you're not allowed to answer the phone on, on Passover, but we knew it was an emergency. And they told me, say goodbye to your father. He's not going to live through the night. Remember that? So we all talked, to, we talk, you know. And that was, that was the Pesach Seder. That was my Pesach Seder. Mm-hmm. See, Baba, how many people are, are people, so many people are writing that they've lost a parent and they can't get over it. Mm-hmm. You know what someone told me? Someone said to me, you, you never get past this. You just learn how to deal with it. Yeah, a new normal. That's what I heard. That doesn't sound very normal, though. No. A new normal sounds abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> that just sounds it's abnormal. Abnormal, yeah. abnormal. Okay, well, thank you for a great conversation, Midala. Of course. You know what? Since it's, I have here 38 minutes, we'll make it 40 even because that's a good number. Because mm-hmm. when I was at school, all the periods of school were all 40 minutes. Is it still like that in school? I think so. 40-minute periods? Yeah. So we have a minute and a half. Ask me one last thing. Okay. Um... Well, I'll ask you something. I feel you, like I you, have a good question. But you, only, but you only have one minute to answer it. So what do you see? Is, what changes do you see in your father? Um, okay, this is going to sound weird. Okay. But, and it's going to take me time to like make, make the answer a little bit more fluid and flowy. But I feel like you're much more like rooted... In the world, I feel like you're much. I, I what I see in you right now, I feel like you're firmly planted in the ground. Um, 
I feel like right now you're in such a real, it's, it's weird how grief, something that's so surreal can, can, can make some, a bystander see, look at you and say, oh my God, he's in, he's in a place that is so real right now. I feel like you're experiencing like in a weird way, like the almost, I don't want to say the richness of life, but you're, you're in like, you're in a space that, that really teaches you something about life. No, that's very insightful. I don't, I think it, you're right. Gonna, I can't really. So um, you're saying that rather than like escape or evade I, yeah, exactly. life through, because of my father's death, yeah. it's actually brought me much more into this I world. I feel like you're so much more here. I you're doing everything to not fly away. It's, it's amazing. You're so, I don't know. Um, I, feel, I don't know. I'm not really sure how to explain it. I think, well, we will elaborate on that tomorrow, okay. but I think you're right. It'll come to me eventually. That's actually very hey, insightful. Jess. Well, my daughter's very insightful, thank God. I really am. See, Jessica lost her grandfather. Yeah. And Jessica lost her father, and I remember the grief that she went through when she lost her father. So, see, in that in that sense, my niece Jessica, your first cousin, who's watching now, can understand this sadly. And for, there's something about it that she can understand that you can't understand mm-hmm. through no fault of your own. I mean, you never have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never join the club. But for Jessica, it was it was truly tragic because yeah. because she was so young, and her father died at such a young age. But all death is tragic. That's one of the things that I learned. It's not true that because you're like, that's what I said. We started the conversation in, in, on this note and we'll end it on this note. Yeah. The very first question you asked me is, how do you feel, feel about people who say, oh, your father was suffering, et cetera. It's a release. It's a, it's a bracha. Thank God, you know, he's not suffering anymore. And I, I hate hearing that. I feel that every, it doesn't recognize that every death is tragic and, that, and yeah. the person didn't have to suffer and that suffering is something that should be abolished from the earth. Mm-hmm. We'll continue tomorrow. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. This has been mm-hmm. chapter two. Chapter two. <laughs> of uh, lessons in grief and mourning. God bless you. Oh, my last answer didn't make sense. <laughs>